holy moly. So I, I reactivated Facebook for the first time in like six months just to post the first three episodes of this podcast. And I got a response that I really wouldn't, wasn't expecting. I got like 100 views. I got like 30 subscribers or something, which is kind of crazy. That's like a, a classroom full of people listening to me, which is uh, kind of daunting, I guess. Um, yeah, honestly, it made it intimidating, intimidating to make this uh, this new one, but I'm just going to continue to pretend like no one's listening because you know what? Those 30 people, it could just be an artifact, some kind of weird computer artifact. You know, computers, I don't know how they work, so it could be an artifact. <laughs> But thank you guys for, for listening in, and um, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and continue to, to bloat my ego a bit. It it uh, certainly needs some extra bloating. <laughs> so what I, what have I been doing recently? So, you know, I'm still studying. One thing that I've, I've kind of fallen down the rabbit hole of uh, the last few weeks, almost a month or two now, and people close to me that I share links with know this really well, is that I've really gotten into reaction videos and not like the kids react to grandparents chew toys like you know those weird videos that are always trending on youtube that are like kids react to something that was like five years that was around five years before they were born uh not those kinds of videos more like videos of people talking about the insanity that is popular on youtube uh, let me let me zoom out for a bit. Let me just kind of uh, uh, take a, a, a thousand foot view here. So the context for all of this is that in 2012 to around like 2016, I think there was this platform called Vine where people could post like, I think it was five or seven second long clips. And it ended up being a, a really vibrant social platform where people would make all kinds of like short, short clips that were usually comedy clips. I, for some reason, was never really... Uh, into it I didn't really know it was popular until after it it was was done but there are people on there who amassed rather large followings uh, usually doing like short comedy clips they had millions of of followers who would follow them around and 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 listen to their stuff and and watch their stuff Um, and then around 2016 because Vine was really popular and it had a lot of people using the platform but they couldn't really figure out how to monetize they shut down and that left a lot of people, a lot of creators with millions of fans um, without a platform. And so many of those people kind of spilled over onto YouTube and started making long form content. And a lot of that content is honestly really bad. It's it's a lot of, um, okay, w- one of the kinds of content that, that these people post a lot of is what's called, I think it's called a thirst trap, where basically people will post uh, videos where either the thumbnail or the, or the whole video is just of them in like, scantily clad attire right both men and women uh and the whole point is that there's not really any substantive content of the video itself it's just that it's this person who's attractive in some way that is making a a, an an otherwise rather inane video and they end up racking up a lot of likes uh and subscriptions and views because a they already have a fan base that fell for that trap uh earlier on vine and then now they have a an even larger audience on youtube and so uh, a lot of these Viners uh, and I think the same people end up publishing to like Instagram and Twitter as well. They have this unbelievably bad content that ends up uh, kind of oversaturating YouTube. A lot of kind of crappy content ends up kind of leaking out that way onto YouTube. Uh, and I'm sure people have seen this. I'm sure you guys have seen this like on the trending page and stuff on YouTube if you ever look on the trending page. And so there's 
a small set of people that have gotten popular in the last year or so, I would say. It kind of started around this time last year, where what they do is they themselves are former Viners. They're people on Vine who uh, had a similar following on Vine. But what they do is they uh, will react to the videos of these people who make this really bad content. So they will, uh, they'll, they'll basically like for a solid 10, 15, 20 minutes, they will watch the, they'll film themselves watching this content and they'll actually have really clever retorts and really clever comedy regarding how dumb this content is. And, uh, it's really cathartic, honestly, to watch people talk about how dumb these videos are. Cause that's exactly how I feel about these kinds of videos. Uh, and they're actually really good, good comedians. Many of them are in LA uh, pursuing careers in comedy and the like. Uh, I'm going to list the four people that I really love because I think everyone should go go watch them, and I'll, I'll list their I'll, I'll I'll link to their channels in the show notes. It's Cody Ko, Noel Miller, Danny Gonzalez, Drew Goodman, all really great creators on YouTube who all came from Vine, who all had their original followings on Vine, and are now making it. Uh, quite quite well, I would say, on, on YouTube because of these reaction videos. They also do other stuff, but the reaction videos in particular are really funny to me. So that's pretty great. The the one thing that is just unbelievable about, not not these guys, the, not the people who are reacting to these videos, but the, but the original video creators, right, is that a lot of that content, if it's not being posted by like an adult age person, it, it, like many of these channels are, are run by younger kids, to be honest, right? Some kids who are like 14, 15, 16, um, and a lot of what they do is they'll make this like inane content, right? And they'll get really popular off of it because they're attractive or because they're really good at marketing or whatever. And they'll build up a big fan base, usually of young girls. And, uh, they'll get really rich off of it, right? Off of ads and, and sponsorships. And then they'll make videos where they flex. Like this is the term that people use, but flexing is when you show off your wealth and your success to, I guess, to to your fans so they'll make these videos where they flex quote-unquote flex and it's like a 16 year old who bought his own ferrari or whatever right and it makes no sense because uh it it's just dumb it isn't like really real content like that like there was some video apparently of like a 14 year old who bought like a like a ferrari or something so like they can't even drive it but they bought it because they can and then they show it off on youtube to their fans and it's just so dumb i don't know the whole thing's really dumb and uh it just, it's something I can't take off my mind because these people have tens of millions of viewers on, on every video. Uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration. They have like one to five million views per video. They have tens of millions of subscribers. So this is like our youth. This is like our mainly girls, but girls and guys like of the ages, like probably like eight to 12, eight to 15 are consuming huge amounts of content from these people. And it kind of scares me to think that that's the kind of content that the young generation is being brought up on. Uh, I know that that's very much like an old man yells at clouds kind of uh, kind of view on it, but it really is scary to me that there's so many people who are uh, into that kind of content. So hopefully it falls out of favor. I think there have been enough scuffles, like for people who have uh been following the youtube drama with like the the paul brothers like jake paul and logan paul they're these two i don't think they were viners necessarily but they're they're youtube celebrities who very much make up this uh this demographic of really inane youtube uh what's the word they use uh influencers right they it's just a word they use for being popular on social media and youtube and uh 
because they're so big now, people are starting to scrutinize a lot of their work. And whenever they make, sorry, the phone's going off in the background. Sorry about that. We're back. I had to get the phone. So yeah, again, these, these guys, the, the Paul brothers, for example, uh, they make rather inane content, but because they have such a huge fan base now, they are being put under some scrutiny. So whenever they make something that's particularly bad or particularly offensive or particularly not great for kids to watch, um, there is a backlash, which, which I think is, is good that we're, that we're in a culture now where there can be some backlash against people who have such unbelievable influence over our children. Uh, one of the Paul brothers, I don't remember which one, cause I don't really care enough to memorize which one is which one of them made uh, a video where they went to um what's called the suicide forest in in japan it's this forest where a lot of people sadly commit suicide and he went into this forest on a quote-unquote vlog and he filmed a dead body and not just like filmed the body he like reacted to seeing the dead body and the whole thing was just so of such poor taste um, that there was thankfully a huge backlash against him. YouTube temporarily demonetized his videos, uh, and he had to do a lot of apologizing, which was good. I don't know how much the apologizing was actually real or, or really should be thought of, of as credible, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that some of these people are starting to get some some scrutiny, so that's good. And I hope that we get more of that. And these people who do these reaction videos, uh, who kind of make fun of these inane content creators, uh, I think are really helping with that. So I think it's really great to watch them because it's funny and they also kind of shed light on the kinds of ridiculous stuff that people are, are, are watching these days. Anyways, I'll stop talking about that because I, I really get worked up about it a lot. But yeah, uh, uh, good stuff. Go watch it. What else have, have I been doing while studying? So I've been watching a lot of Naruto. For, for those of you that don't know, Naruto is this, uh, it, it's this manga slash anime series um, that I think started in the 90s uh, out of Shonen Jump. Basically, it's this ninja uh, animated series that has, I don't know if it's still going on, but it, but it was going on for, for quite a long time. They have a few hundred episodes and it's been the kind of thing I watch, you know, like during dinner and stuff as a break. And I I feel really bad because for a long time, I assumed that Naruto was very much for either for kids or for like nerdy people who are really into anime and, and, and to be fair, I, I'm into weird anime sometimes too. Like I'll, I'll watch stuff that's very much not mainstream, uh, in terms of manga and, and anime, but I always kind of strayed away from Naruto. I think because in elementary school, a lot of people who would watch and read Naruto would be made a lot of fun of. And that's kind of for two reasons. One is because there was very much a culture when I was younger of, anime and manga not being mainstream so if you were to actually watch it apart from like dragon ball z you're obviously nerdy you're obviously you know not cool um so i unfortunately participated in a little bit of that but uh there was a lot of like making fun of people behind their back for for being into that so i always kind of reflexively went away from it there was also this weird trend that i was talking to someone else about recently where in in naruto it's a it's a show about ninjas and in the show, the ninjas, they run really fast. And when they run really fast, they they kind of like let their arms hang behind them. So they're leaving their arms hanging behind them as they're running really fast. And, you know, I'm sure in the context of the show, there's some reason for it and like some kind of aerodynamic reason or just kind of a cool like stylistic thing. But people would do that in real life, like during PE or like on the playground. And 
it, naturally they're doing something kind of weird in real life. And so they got made fun of a lot. So because of all these reasons, I kind of reflexively never really got into Naruto for better or worse. Um, first of all, I'm sorry if I ever made fun of anyone for, for watching Naruto or being into Naruto when I was younger, I, I apologize because it, it, it really is a good show. Um, even now, even though it was, it was made quite some time ago, it holds up really well. There's great action. There's a really great storyline. It isn't cookie cutter like a lot of other popular anime. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't really know where I was going with that, but you know what? If you if you want to watch Naruto, go. It's on Netflix now, I think. So go watch some Naruto. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised by how nice it's been, how how well uh, uh, I've liked it, because I really have liked it more than I really expected it to. Um, it's a kind of show where you know how sometimes you'll you'll put on a show in the background. It's either a show that you love that you've watched so many times that it's kind of like a constant drone in the background that you can have. Like I've watched The Office or Thirty Rock so many times that I can just have it in the background and. Uh, laugh at the jokes without it really distracting me. Um, that's one class of shows I have in the background. The other class of shows I have in the background are always shows that I just don't like. I'm not. I'm not very interested in. But I have always. But but I still want to know what happens in the shows. Um, and I, I thought that Naruto would be one of those shows where I don't really care enough about it to watch it actively. And so I would just kind of have have it on the background when I started watching it. But I got enough into it that now I only watch it when I can watch it like full on. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's as ringing of an endorsement as I can possibly give for a TV show. So there you have it. Um, okay. I, I thought I'd talk about a little bit of a deep topic too today. Not deep, I guess sensitive. I, I guess there's been a trend of me doing one of these topics per episode, but uh, earlier this week, I think a couple of days ago, there was an email to basically everyone who has ever been affiliated with Harvard uh, from Drew Faust, the outgoing president of the university about uh, an ongoing lawsuit. There's been an affirmative action lawsuit against Harvard for some time now where I, I and again, I, I don't know all the details. I'm, I haven't read up into it enough and I'm not a lawyer or I, I, I don't have any personal legal expertise, but there's been, as I understand it, an ongoing lawsuit by Asian Americans, I believe, against uh, Harvard for discriminating against Asian Americans. And, and the allegations are that uh, Asian Americans who are accepted into Harvard have higher test scores and higher GPAs and higher everything else to, uh, relative to their, like, like, uh, relative to their peers of other, uh, ethnicities. And so I, I believe there's some kind of lawsuit about that being illegal or that being discriminatory in some way. I, I'm not going to comment too much on it. I do have two, two interesting kind of thoughts though. One is that this email that came out from Drew Faust from the president of, of Harvard to everyone who's ever been affiliated with Harvard was very interesting. It was very What's the right word? It's, it was very, uh, I guess, harsh. I don't know what the right word is, but basically it, it alleges that the people who are bringing this suit uh, are going to be doing a big media blitz, kind of smudging, defacing Harvard's name in the media and stuff. Uh, and that, you know, Harvard is is all about diversity and that this is a, a, a BS lawsuit uh, was kind of the gist of the email. And it's interesting because I th- it really reminded me of, I believe, recently, maybe six months ago or a year ago, uh, Stanford Medical School or, or Stanford Hospitals also had a very similar email go out to all affiliates. Um, I, I think it was during like a nursing strike or something where the president or the dean or something, someone uh, important sent an email out to every single Stanford Hospital affiliate saying, hey, uh, this, is, this stuff is all going to come out and, uh, you know, don't believe any of this stuff. And it's interesting because I... I I was trying to figure out why exactly they sent these emails out because I'm sure everyone has strong feelings about the actual 
uh, lawsuit at hand. My guess is that they're trying to prevent media backlash. Like you can imagine in any high profile lawsuit, the plaintiffs will probably go to the media to, you know, talk about the the lawsuit, to talk about the intent of the lawsuit, to talk about the data they have supporting the lawsuit. And I think in, in the email from Drew Faust, you did talk about how the admissions data that uh, is presented by the plaintiffs in this lawsuit is, I don't know, misanalyzed or misrepresented, that kind of stuff. And and you can imagine that if people at Harvard or Stanford or, you know, whoever the defendants are or, or whoever is affiliated with the defendants, if they were to be interviewed without much background knowledge and were just given whatever is being said by the plaintiffs, um, they would probably agree or they, or they, you know, there's probably some, some thought that maybe they would uh, give credit or endorse the lawsuit in some way. And that may look bad for Harvard and so, or, or Stanford or whoever the university or the institution is. Um, and it, it, it's kind of funny because uh, I, I'm not sure how effective that is, but I'm sure it's a good way of them covering their butts in case it's helpful somewhere or somehow. Again, I don't really know much about the actual lawsuit at hand, um, but I thought maybe I would talk a little bit about affirmative action, not because I have a particularly strong opinion on it. To be, to be fair, I have a lot of conflicting thoughts about the matter, um, and I don't really have a consolidated single opinion on it, especially in the context of this lawsuit. So I won't comment on the lawsuit, but I will comment on kind of what I've been thinking about myself in the context of my own life. So so here, here are the conflicting opinions, basically, or the conflicting thoughts. I am a South Asian American male, and that means that, especially in so, in a place like Colorado, I was uh, by far a, a minority amongst the people that I grew up with. And for better or worse, growing up as a minority usually entails feeling self-conscious about yourself, about your customs, about the way you present yourself to the world, about kind of being on your toes at all times to make sure that you're not committing massive faux pas in part because you you want to fend for yourself, but also because you feel like you're representing your entire culture or race or whatever. At the same time, I am also a South Asian American male that grew up being very involved in science and tech and engineering and math-related things, right? Classes, courses, activities, etc. And in the context of those activities, I was, and, and still am, uh, by far, relatively overrepresented, Right. And so on one hand, I personally felt kind of vulnerable from the side of being a minority, but also vulnerable in that I, there were times where I was up for something, let's say, like an award or a distinction or whatever. And I knew in, in one case as a fact and in other cases as a hunch that I didn't get something because of my gender or my race um, because I was overrepresented. And there was one time at, towards the end of high school where I was up for something that, that I had worked really hard for and I didn't get it. I got something lesser uh, in terms of a dis- distinction. And later later on, I was told by a member of the selection committee rather explicitly that I was up for the high, the highest thing, the highest distinction award, whatever. I won't get into details. But that I was swapped out for someone else because I come from an overrepresented group in the context of that particular activity. And... <laughs> At the time, I was very mad. I was very frustrated. I was very angry. And even now, I have very sad thoughts about it because I was very upset at the time because I thought that I worked really hard. I thought that, you know, uh, I had put everything as much into it as I could have and I didn't get the output that I felt that I deserved. 
And so it's very easy for me now, even now, to come to you and say that affirmative action is not just. And I think a lot of people that are detractors of, of affirmative action come from a from a similar perspective. So I just wanted to lay out that perspective of mine because I think a lot of people come from that perspective. But there's a big but. And the big but is that we don't live in a world, we don't live in a society that is insulated from history. And the reality of the matter is that we live in a society where for a majority of history, uh, a majority of people, if you if you take a, take a sum of all groups that have ever been discriminated against, uh, a majority of people for most of history have not been given adequate representation, have not been given adequate access to learning, to careers, to the ability to excel, simply because of something they couldn't change, like gender or race. And in a perfectly just world, you know, post-equilibrium, everything will kind of re-equilibrate. And at, at one point in the distant future, things like race and gender maybe won't matter. But the reality is that the pendulum has to swing back in the other direction, a little bit at least, for appropriate representation to be given uh, to, to women, to underrepresented minorities. And it's hard, it's hard as someone who is not, who is negatively impacted by that to accept that. But we have to, because at some point or other, the, the pendulum has to swing the other way. And it just happens to be that it's swinging the other way right now. And look, someone has to take the L essentially. Someone has to, someone has to be okay with having to work a little harder than someone else for now, because for a long time, it was very much in the other direction. People who are of underrepresented minorities for a long time had to work crazy hard for even a small sliver of the representation that the majority uh, of people would get. So it's, I know it's hard. It's so hard. And it's, it's even hard for me now. Like whenever, like right now I'm not really part of any admission cycle or anything, so it's fine. But whenever I am part of an admission cycle for something, for college, for med school, for fellowships, I'm always self-conscious about it. And I always know that it may be something that makes it harder for me to get into the things I want to get into. But I, I have to keep reminding myself that it is necessary and it is just for these measures to be put into place. That being said, I think, and this is very much a, a personal opinion of mine, I think that perhaps more credence should be lent or, or, or more thought should be put into the implementation of affirmative action towards maybe emphasizing things like uh, family income, for example, more. Um, I think right now, I think schools and I think universities and, and hiring institutions and stuff have gotten better about this, but I think for a long time it was very much like race and gender-based, and now I think affirmative action is, is starting to look more at things like uh, your family income, your family history, that kind of stuff. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting off track and I hope I didn't make anyone mad by saying all those things. I just want to express that I, I totally get where people are coming from when they have problems with affirmative action, but I do personally feel like it is necessary and it is important for it to be be implemented in today's day and age to, to you know, restore justice to the world. Um, again, implementation... I'm sure is like like the devils in the details and implementation and all that, but it it really it really is important. I think it really is. Anyways, <laughs> thanks for listening to that tirade. I hope it wasn't too bad. If you have thoughts about that, message me. I'm happy to discuss it more. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I think. I think at least right now, I'm sure my opinion maybe will change. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. 
Okay, this has been going long and long. I feel like every every episode is going is getting longer and longer. I wanted to conclude because people have been <laughs> messaging me about this as well. Uh, in a previous episode, I talked about Kingdom Hearts three and about how I was so excited for this new game to come out and how and how I was so excited for new trailers and new uh, re- like release dates to come out. And they did. This last week, we got like three new trailers. We got a release date of January twenty nineteen, and a whole bunch of other stuff that came out about this game. And I just want to say I'm really excited. It's been on my mind a lot, and I cannot wait for this game to come out and for me to play it. And I think in anticipation of the game over the next six months after I take this exam, I'm going to be playing the prequels to this game or the the predecessors to this game a lot. So if any of you want to come play with me, let me know. (laughs) Anyways, um, I wanted to thank you guys again for listening. I can't believe people are actually listening to this. Um, But yeah, if you haven't yet, subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode. Take care, guys. Have a good day. Bye.